0: This is the IBJ podcast for the week of March 13th, 2023, brought to you by Taft. I'm your host, Mason King. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. The word on the street is that the Federal Reserve is going to raise interest rates again next week as it continues to try to cool inflation. It's hard to think of anybody who would be happy about that. But the silver lining is that when lending rates rise, savings rates also rise. It's not unusual now to see certificates of deposit with 4% or 5% annual yields locked in over 12 to 24 months. Money market accounts are now paying healthy returns as well. You might want to point this out to your millennial and Gen Z friends because they probably haven't experienced interest rates this high for savings in their adult lives. As we've discussed on the podcast, It's difficult to get many Americans to put away an appropriate amount of money for retirement or a financial emergency. Late last year, your friends in Congress passed a significant revision to the rules for retirement plans with the intent of extending and expanding your savings opportunities and ability to save for retirement. And it's not just for folks preparing to hobble across the finish line. The changes can also help people still paying off their college loans or those who need to establish their first emergency funds. For this week's podcast, I've invited IBJ columnist Pete Dunn, a.k.a. Pete the Planner, to explain these new opportunities for savings. And as it happens, his column this week has a slightly different take on saving money that follows one of his primary maxims. The easiest way to save money is to not spend a lot of money. In this situation, he's talking about trying to level up in the housing market and trading in a 3% mortgage for the Fed's new inflation-fighting rates. Here's our conversation. I am happy, as always, so welcome back to the podcast. Pete Dunn, aka Pete the Planner, how are you doing? I'm just happy I've not been replaced
1: by AI on these segments. So you, you still go to me instead sort of like chat GPT. I guess I can be chat PTP. We'll call me that for today. And I'll answer, I'll just
0: promise not to threaten you or whatever. This is one of the reasons why I feel good about my job is that I don't think there's a chat whatever bot that could sound so ill-informed as I do. Uh, you you play that part to uh, perfection, Mason. It's great yeah. to be with you like thanks for thanks for approving of my core okay. esteem self esteem oh okay here's here's a good thing too uh, I'll, I'll give you an update on this even though that you have professed in the past not to care yeah i don't so my wife and i we have been meeting with a financial planner and we have getting our uh, disparate investments together and moving in like a a thoughtful direction i care about that deeply <laughs> You said you didn't care the last time we talked. No, you said it was I, putting you to sleep.
1: No, I think that's great. I, I like progress, you know? Okay. So that's good. Good for it's you. Progress. Do, you,
0: do, you feel, do you feel good about it? I feel pretty good about it. One of no, the things that is, is really it, yeah. great about it is my wife finally got me to, to release my iron grip on the cash that we had mm. uh, that was sitting uh, basically in our mattress um, and is now getting like 4%. Look at 4%. you. It's, it's in CDs, mostly. And also, uh, some of it's also in the money market. Four percent. I had no idea that that was even available. Sounds like I should be interviewing you, and uh, I'll be the quirky host. Okay. <laughs> I have put too much energy into preparing for this episode. So okay, let, let's just do it the normal way. Okay. So the theme I think this week is going to be savings. Uh, we're going to look at a few changes in the financial environment. Uh, that can put you in a position to save more money and or generate more money from your savings. So probably the easiest one to understand is from your column uh, this week at IBJ. And it feeds right into one of the primary Pete the Planner maxims. The best way to save money is to not spend a lot of money. Did I say that? Is that a Is that, is that a PTP maxim? I'm paraphrasing, but come on, tell me that's not your, one of your major things.
1: Kind of. Yeah, it is. I So here's where I'm at. I was at a party uh, last weekend. No one was socially distancing. And I can't believe I was invited. And someone brought up the fact that, uh, are we thinking about moving anytime soon? And I had like a, almost a violent reaction to this. (laughs) Basically, I have a two and a half percent 10 year mortgage. You would have to drag me kicking and screaming out of that mortgage contract because it's not going to happen. I find that that 2.5% mortgage is one of my greatest assets that I own, and I will not get rid of it until I have to. And so that is to say, I wrote about this week, who are all these people, <laughs> they sound like Seinfeld, who are all these people <laughs> who are moving with 7% interest rates, getting rid of 2 and 3% mortgages? I I don't get it.
0: I don't understand. Yeah, yeah me neither. My wife and I, we're kind of in the same boat. About nine years, we refinanced uh, to a 15. And I think we got like three, 3%. uh, Right. And I love it. (laughs) (laughs) One of the great pleasures of my middle-aged life is just thinking about how much money we're saving.
1: Yeah. So there's a few different elements here that I think are worth covering. Let's start with the numbers first. Of course, if you've got a lower interest rate mortgage payment you're going to have a lower payment. Uh, Like your cash flow will be significantly less than moving to a 7% interest uh, mortgage. And in many cases, you buy more house. And so your mortgage itself is bigger. The second element, which is a little bit longer term, the cost of the overall mortgage, whether it's 10 or 15 or 30 years, in some cases can be two to three times the amount of interest in terms of dollars that you will pay. An example I was giving, In my column, for a 3% mortgage for 30 years on a $300,000 loan, that's 300 times three times 30 years. That's $150,000 of interest over the course of that loan. And at seven and a quarter percent, which is about what you can get now on a 30 year mortgage for that same $300,000, Mason, that's $436,750 in interest, nearly three times the amount. For the exact same house.
0: That sounds like a sick joke. I mean, why are people
1: doing it? That's a great question. Okay, which goes to my third point, which I think this is where it gets a little heady. So I don't know. Hopefully you've got plenty of coffee today. Clearly I have. I think we, I'll group myself into this. We hate no. We hate you can't. We hate uh, you can't figure this out. And so these ideas that 20, 30 years ago were objectively bad ideas are still objectively bad ideas, but we now view them as subjective. And it's like, well, it's not a bad idea if someone lets me do it. So I think people are gaining validation in other people's approval of bad ideas. And look, of course, there's good reasons for some people to move right now. I'm not a complete moron. Partial moron is what I am. I don't believe. Then it makes a lot of sense for someone who doesn't need to move, who doesn't need to move. And it's got a low interest rate mortgage. I think it makes zero sense to move right now.
0: Yeah, I think the, the American ideal, too, is to move into the bigger and better place as your means increase. And again, if somebody will lend you the money.
1: I just, I don't know, I, the, the, the housing market's got to be at some sort of a stalemate right now where it should be. Where housing prices are kind of coming down a little bit or they aren't increasing as aggressively. yet. Because of interest rates, people should be feel frozen out of the opportunity to buy. That was the intent of the Fed when they increased the Fed rate. I mean, that's the whole point of calming and cooling the economy was to make people go, should I really be borrowing money right now to grow the economy even further? And the answer should be, no, I've got a 2.5% mortgage. I'm not getting in deeper. I, I, I hate to say it. I'm doing my part to keep the economy cool.
0: Yeah, I forgot to, to introduce that idea. But, I mean, the reason why the interest rates are higher because the Fed, but starting about 15 months ago, went on a campaign of raising interest rates, among other things, to cool down the housing market, but also to get a yeah,
1: Right. Well, you know, related. And, and then you even look at what's going on in the used car marketplace and the new car marketplace, automobiles in general, similar sort of feel. It's actually working a little bit better. You're seeing... Car supplies, new car inventory increase more than necessarily housing inventory. So it's working. And this is my opinion. It's working in transportation, housing. People are are having a hard time
0: saying no. I did a little bit of a little bit of background research. I thought it was interesting that I mean, for people who have been in the housing market for many years, I mean, somebody who maybe bought their first house thirty years ago, their interest rate was maybe I mean, could have been twelve, could have been eleven, could have been ten. I think it, during the Reagan administration, it went from maybe like 16 to 10. Um, so seven probably doesn't seem that bad to them.
1: That's a great point. I mean, it's an incredible point because seven, six or 7% over the course of the last few decades, not that bad, not not that bad. And that's why I would say if you're a renter right now, then you can justify Making a purchase because you're like, man, six or seven percent is not that bad. We're not guaranteed to go back to two and a half percent. But if you have a mortgage and it is low, that's where I have the struggle. My My first mortgage in 2000 was July 2000. I want to say it was eight and a half percent, but I was also like a, right out of college. So I don't, I don't, I, was, I wasn't probably that credit worthy, but it was like eight and a half percent in the
0: year 2000, which again, higher than what we're dealing with now. Yeah, when I bought my first condo, it was probably two thousand and three, and I was overjoyed that it was five point eight five.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, now,
0: I, you didn't ask,
1: but I will ask myself, Pete. Do you believe interest rates will return to that two to three percent range? Thanks for asking. Not necessarily. I, I, I don't. I don't think there's a path there. Uh, a intended path there. I think they will settle between three and four percent. But I think it's it was government intervention and it was stoking the fires of the economy, which got us to two to three percent. So, you know, I I don't think we get
0: back to two percent range. I'm going to throw in a caveat here because uh, a lot of folks in my family, not me, notably, uh, you're active in in like high end real estate. Um, And I think a lot of those buyers, a lot of them are paying cash.
1: Right. And. Uh, on the surface, especially in this environment, I have no problem with that because the opposite is actually true. What you saw two years ago is you saw uh, people who could buy in cash say, "Forget that. I'm taking the two and a half percent loan, uh, and my cash, I can I can put it to work a little differently." Uh, but you know, it's weird how certain economic conditions can present opportunity to a person who's put themselves into a good position. And when I'm, the, the, I guess maybe we close the housing thing on this. What I'm concerned about right now is the unforced errors of leaving a low interest rate mortgage for a highest interest rate one, because you're like, well, it's what we want to, it's what we want to do. It's like, no, that's objectively a horrible idea. Call it whatever you like, but it's a horrible
0: idea. Let's talk about something a lot easier. Cash. I want to stash in savings. So sure. you've got your, Let's say you've got your 2.5% mortgage. You've been trimming your expenses. Now you've got a cash surplus every month. Maybe you have some cash in the savings account already, maybe a traditional bank savings account or money market. So in, I would say probably what the last 15 months in coordination with the Fed, you can now get three to 4%, I'm guessing. <laughs> so I'm told by my financial planner on your savings when you know 15 months ago, it was negligible. Yeah, 4% is pretty easy to get right now.
1: It's wild. Like it's, it's, it's relatively easy. Now, your local bank may not have 4%, but there are a number of insured and credible institutions that you can access via the interwebs uh, at 4%. And I'm sure there are local banks and credit unions that are doing it too. But I want to have a point of distinction here because I think there's almost like two tiers of savings. I think on some level, your first tier of savings, which is the true emergency fund, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to need money like super fast. It yeah. could, it should be so liquid and transferable into your checking account that the amount of interest on it, I don't actually care. And it shouldn't also be that much money. Now, beyond that, beyond two months or whatever, three months, whatever is saved, by all means, su- subject it to an interest rate, like get it at 4%. I'm just not one of those people that are like, hey, you have two grand to your name, you better get that at 4% or you're an idiot. It's like, well, no, the two grand
0: is better served protecting you from the downside, you know? Yeah, that was one of the lessons, that, one of the hard lessons <laughs> that I learned in conversation with our financial planner. Just, You don't have to have your savings all in one place. And so, you know, I, I like to think about all of our savings as being our emergency fund. And they got me to think about it as we can have, X amount of money in the savings account that can be the instantly accessible money. And then we can have money in a money market or you can in a slightly better return in a CD where maybe you necessarily aren't going to touch it or you can touch it maybe for a few months, but it's there and it's it's picking up in. Yeah, I would actually think about this like a deep
1: freeze or a freezer at your house where there's certain foods the, if it's in your freezer, you probably aren't going to be able to eat it today because it needs to thaw properly. And so then you put it in the fridge and then it comes out to room temperature on the counter. Like it's the same thing with savings. You can have something in a deeper freeze that takes time to access uh, and then can last longer. I mean the, the metaphor just goes on and on. And then there's the the fridge and then there's re- – I'm going to bail on that one.
0: <laughs> That's okay. I was following you the whole way. Oh my God.
1: I don't know. It started to feel like it fell apart. You
0: know, It just went cold. It just went cold. Uh, this was interesting. According to Forbes, one of the guys at Bankrate uh, says to expect the top yielding savings and money market rates to hit 5.5 annual yeah. percentage yield by the middle of this year. And then maybe, you know, things may cool down a little bit towards the end of the year, but th- that's still going to be out there. So who, let's, let's
1: talk about who this is ideal for. OK, yeah. so this is this is where this gets fun. It's ideal for me. It's a, it's a deal for a deal for someone that has a two and a half percent mortgage and then they can have the, you know, the spread by having their, their savings instead of paying off the mortgage, their savings can earn five and a half percent. Here's who it stinks for Mason. It stinks for the people who just bought a home at 7% and they're getting five and a half percent. Like, wow, look at this five and a half percent interest rate. It doesn't matter because the spread is backwards. So that that's no, don't get me wrong. You would love the five and a half percent, and it's not like you're going to just pay off your house because you don't necessarily have the cash for it. But it's less advantageous for that person that has a higher uh, interest rate associated
0: with their debt. For folks who aren't, you know, really conversant in this stuff, let me just make sure I understand the options. So you could get a savings account at your bank, and that would pay you whatever they're paying. Sure. What is the difference between, say, a money market account and a CD?
1: CD has a set time frame, six months, three months, a year, three years, uh, where a money market is much more liquid than that. That's the primary difference. A money market is more akin to a savings account. Sometimes a money market account is also FDIC insured, uh, which is great. Sometimes money market accounts are not. They are, I'm using air quotes here, listener. They are relatively safe investments. Uh, uses of savings, right? Boy, just wait until you and I are both in court over that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know what? We'll, we spend so much time together on this podcast that we'll have each other's comfort
0: in that. Oh, dialogue. that'd be great!
1: This is like the last yeah. episode of Seinfeld where they're all yeah. together in, the, in the, we're the We're Thelma and Louise, you and I, I'm driving off the cliff. Anyway. Uh, I think that uh, money markets are, are generally fine. The, if they're FDIC insured, even better. And they're very similar to a savings account that way. A CD is just, it, it's it's fine. You just have to commit your money for a longer period of time.
0: Right. And that is the uh, the interest rate then marginally better because you have committed. Theoretically. Yeah. yeah th- theoretically. I mean, uh, you, you're like, hey, three
1: years for... a year, it's awesome. And here's where that actually gets awesome. It's like the reverse of an adjustable rate mortgage is if, let's say, interest rates uh, drop, plummet, might be the better verb there, uh, over the next couple of years, you're still holding this vehicle that will give you 5% for that year and everyone else is paying half percent. You look
0: like uh, a genius. Okay. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. This is the IBJ Podcast. Taft, today's modern law firm. With more than 800 attorneys in eight primary Midwest markets and the District of Columbia, we provide solutions to the business issues facing middle market and emerging companies alike. We do this through a highly collaborative and inclusive team approach. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. All right, we're back with this week's edition of the IBJ podcast and my conversation with Pete the Planner about the new rules for savings. So let's now widen our view then to retirement savings accounts. Financial planners and their clients, I think, are digesting changes to the rules about retirement savings from what we call the Secure 2.0 Act of 2022, which was passed at the end of last year, Uh, secure, of course, is a weird acronym standing for setting every community up for retirement enhancement should be self explanatory. Uh, What was was the secure act supposed to do?
1: It was supposed to level the playing field. Uh, It is supposed to level the playing field for tax advantage savings and to. Adjust to the nature of longevity. You know, some of some of the rules in our retirement system were built back in the nineteen thirties. Mm-hmm. You know, and so a lot has changed since then. Even this morning, you know, which is a nice way to evergreen a podcast. I, I was reading, <laughs> I was reading comments from Nikki Haley, who's running for president now, and she just outright said, "Hey, look, we're gonna need to change Social Security age." Uh, for the younger generation, and I'll group myself in there despite the hair loss. And and she said, you know, I think at minimum, it's going to have to go to 72 to 75, potentially 80, right? And and I kind of agree. She said potentially the, 80? That's what I read. Take it up with – Potentially uh, 80? That's a bit aggressive. Okay. I mean, <laughs> look, that's a bit aggressive. I think I – think, right now it's 62 is when you can take early withdrawal –
0: I thought you could take it at 59 and a half. Oh, but no, you're talking about
1: social security, right? I'm sorry. Social security, right. Yeah, so there's two different things, right? So, But but the whole point is a lot of our retirement system is so antiquated, there has to be changes. I actually support increasing the age for people my age. If you're already in your 50s or 60s or 70s, or 80s, by Lord, let's not change that. That seems like a bad idea. Anyway, to your point, Secure Act is meant to level the playing field for the assets that we hold outside of social security. And one of those, which sort of dovetails in, is this idea that you won't have to take withdrawals from your account until a later time. These are called require, Required Minimum Distributions, RMDs, as we call them in the biz. And it's gone from age 72 to age 73 this year, and it's not till 2033 uh, when you have these 75. And this is important. I, I think this
0: actually helps people. So somebody like me, I've got IRAs, I've got a 401k, um, I think I've got a profit sharing plan sewed away somewhere. So that holds true for, for these kinds of invest, investment vehicles where eventually the government has, as their attitude has been, you know, you can't just hold on to that forever. You need to start taking taking distributions. And currently, or I should say, currently, I mean, as of last year, it was 72. This year it's 73. It used to be 70
1: and a half not too long ago. And so now it is, yeah, it's 72 going to 73. And, and it's simple. We need the tax revenue. Congrats on saving. Congrats on the tax deferral. Break us off a little piece of that. <laughs> Wait a second. What does that mean? Uh, break us off a little piece of that? It's like- No, no, not,
0: not that part. Oh. <laughs> that benefits the federal government?
1: Oh, yeah. The The reason the withdrawal takes place is so you have to pay taxes on it. Oh, That's gotcha, the whole gotcha. reason. Right. I thought I was- uh, I turned into your urban dictionary there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> and then Pete told Mason what it
0: means to break someone off. It, oh, okay. I thought it's something to do with with charcuterie. No, it's well, you know. Okay, so yeah, so the government wants you to eventually start cashing out because it wants the tax money. But now it's giving you right now an extra year,
1: which is good. It, it's good for yeah, it's it's good for savers, investors, um, and arguably, arguably is potentially contributing. To some of the the tax revenue problems that the government will continue to have. I don't know. I mean, it's good for us, but is it – I'm not getting political. It's good for us now, but is it good for us then because then the tax revenues get thrown
0: off and we go deeper into a deficit? I I don't know. That's not my thing. Now, maybe kind of a corollary to this, if that's – probably not the right use of the word, but it's related. Also this year, the penalty for failing to make your required withdrawal has decreased. So yeah, it's, I, it's yeah, even yeah. saying like, hey, if you don't do it, we're not going to ding you as much.
1: I have to say as a former financial advisor, not that I was kicked out of the industry for failing to make people take required amendment withdrawals. But I will say this. It's so common to forget your RMD. I mean, it is crazy common. And financial advisors, if you have one, they should keep you attuned to when you need to take them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's really common. And I think they just acknowledge that. And they're like, we're crushing people. If for a
0: pretty easy mistake. And additionally, Roth accounts in employer retirement plans will be exempt from RMDs starting in 2024.
1: Yeah, this was silly that it wasn't exempt in the first place because it's after-tax money. So um, this was like a, an oversight that they just cleaned up. It was, it was sort of sort of nutty. I will say one of my favorite rules that have just changed, and it's coming in the next year or so, you like the the specificity of the time frame there. A person will be able to roll over up to thirty five thousand dollars into a Roth IRA from an unused five twenty nine college savings plan. Uh, um, I think that's fascinating.
0: Uh, okay. So wait, be- so wait. So I, I've got a son who has a five twenty nine. I, I and it's pretty well see, funded. Yeah, he'll get a billiard scholarship, so
1: he won't need all the money you save. Like he's good at eight ball or nine ball or whatever they
0: call it. Snooker. Okay, he yeah. he he is. <laughs> okay, of course he. is. Okay, he is because we do that around the house. But right, so he's he's got yeah. So he doesn't need to use all that money. Let's say we have more than enough money in there, so we, some of that will be able to be rolled over into retirement for you for the account
1: holder. Oh, okay, so that for well, for me. Fi- Yes, that's why I like it. Forget the kids; they oh, good for you and me, baby. Thirty-five thousand dollars, which I think is great, because I think sometimes, sometimes parents under-save for college with this fear, justified or not, that the kid won't need all that money. Well, this gives you thirty-five grand back, and, and that's a that's at least a year of college, right?
0: Okay, so my son gets a, a full ride based on his cool prowess. At MIT, so we've got all this money sitting around, and it's five twenty nine. So I so thirty five thousand of that can come back to me. Yes, that's outstanding. I know, and that's sort of <laughs> wow. buried in all this news. Suddenly, suddenly, I'm like less interested in my son going to college. Yeah, same. Okay, there are more wrinkles here. Higher retirement plan contribution limits for certain individuals.
1: Uh, I I will note that it's called a catch up contribution. And Heinz Corporation's not involved with this. It's catch up, and it means that once you achieve the age of fifty or higher, you can put more money into your workplace retirement plans than people who are forty-nine years or younger. Right now, it's seventy-five hundred bucks, and starting in January of twenty twenty-five, what's going to happen is if you are sixty to age sixty-three, you can put ten grand extra in, so another twenty-five hundred dollars a year. But you know. I have to admit, neat, but incredibly unmeaningful that they're going to let you put away an additional $7,500 over a three-year period. I, I'm, I'm struggling to see the
0: utility in that. Oh, I see what you're saying, because you're going to be retiring soon anyway.
1: Yeah. I mean, that the, the last twenty five dollars just, just so you know, the last $2,500 that you save doesn't matter, which sounds awful, but it's a math <laughs> trick. It's the first $2,500 that you
0: save that matters. The last $2,500 doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. But still, I mean, they they correctly assume that the vast majority of Americans have not saved that first twenty five hundred, or at least they didn't until they were, you know, middle aged. And so they're just giving folks a a chance to hit maybe like a hot streak in their investments.
1: I don't know how they don't call me on these things, but here's how I would have done it. I, I would have increased that in the 50s, even the mid 50s, like. Make it arbitrary. You already made it arbitrary, 54 to 56, and and let them increase it. Because at least the money has time to double. You know, there's a doubling period uh, because it's still growing. I I, I Just at the end of the total end of a career, theoretically, it just makes no sense to me. Really, this
0: only pertains to people 60 to 63. Yeah, I'll never make it there. That's right. Right. So me being in my 50s, I still will be able to contribute that extra 7,500 as catch up. yeah. If I max out the other ways of saving, correct? I have to be able to max that. That that is uh, a big part of it. Yes. Okay, gotcha. And this is interesting. This is now this is for folks who are younger, I assume, their emergency savings accounts could be established within defined contribution plans like your 401k, for example.
1: Yeah, this is nice, right? This is um, this is a good one. I think sometimes when we lower the barrier to savings, it helps people, right? And so if if through your employer you can save money and it's all part of it, then it's clean. You never miss the money, and so I'm, I'm all for it. I don't think this is a massive game changer, but potentially for the unbanked, you know, people who don't participate in the banking system, which are usually on the lower income side of the scale, this could be meaningful. Although so you could also argue that the folks in that end of the scale don't have money to save. So I don't know. This feels like a little bit of window dressing, but I'm not against it.
0: So let me make sure I get this. So starting in 2024, your retirement plan, uh, this is a mandatory for all retirement plans, but your, I guess your administrators could choose to give you that option of creating an emergency savings account um, in addition to the money that you're putting away for retirement. You know the, the place where this seemed to be to be a benefit is that your employer could put matching money into that emergency account, and you know normally when you take money out of a out of if we're going to say a four hundred one k again, um, you have to pay a penalty. I mean, unless you're in your fifties or sixties, and in the emergency savings account, you do not have to pay a penalty for taking that money out.
1: Yeah, that the, absolutely there's utility in that hundred percent. I would say my gut tells me which is substantial. My gut <laughs> tells me that it's going to be really highly compensated people and organizations that are that are just looking for ways to put golden handcuffs on people to keep them there mm-hmm. that's who this benefits the most because of those extra contributions. But you know, if you work for a small to mid-sized business, I think
0: it's unlikely that this is going to you know significantly impact you. I, I love that phrase, gold handcuffs. And I think I've seen it used in relation to this last bit of change in the Secure Act about student loan payments. My understanding is effective 2024, employers will be allowed to make matching contributions to their worker retirement plans for those folks who are still paying off student debt. And they can realizing that I am putting most of my money back into my loans. They can say, "Well, if you're putting X amount of money into your loans, we will go ahead and put some some corresponding amount of money or a percentage of that money into your retirement account."
1: Yeah, it's it's nice, and I there's going to be a certain portion of the population that really benefits. What I hope doesn't happen is that then this creates a retirement problem, just plain and simple, because it's the early money going into a retirement plan that's the most significant, and so if this distracts slash dissuades people from putting money into the plan because they're they're aggressively attacking their student loans. I hate to say it, but the math doesn't support that that's the best way to go. The math supports that you are aggressively saving for retirement and then busting your hump to get out of student loan debt too. I, I don't think you should flip them. I don't think that the number one goal should be to get out of student loan debt. The math just doesn't support it. But in any event, I mean the
0: employers the that they choose can yes. The way I'm getting it, they can put money into your uh, retirement account based on what you're putting into your student loans.
1: Yeah. You know, th- this is certainly not the point of our conversation today, but the more we're sitting here talking about some of these changes, you can see w- why some of them were advocated for by big business because it's such a huge advantage. If you're a large business, you, you can have all of the talent. Because you can provide all of these things that that a small and medium-sized business might be able to match the salary, but they can't match all these benefits. And, and right. that's the problem.
0: Well, that, yeah, that was a gold handcuffs thing, I assume. The, yeah. the reference is that, yeah, I mean, you get into a place where, hey, my employer is helping me pay off my student loans. I mean, that's a pretty good incentive to, or not paying off my student loans, but, uh, you know, realizing that I'm trying to pay off my student loans and it's helping me out with retirement. Yeah, I don't mean to be so cynical to say, oh, here's legislation. Who was the
1: lobbyist involved? Like, who's who does it really benefit? But I don't know. Through this conversation, that became apparent to me.
0: Is there a lobbyist for big business? I mean, <laughs>
1: yes. Just and Bob. if they're hiring, hit me up. I'll be glad to come join.
0: you. Yeah, I just, I, I just assumed that it was sort of like industry specific, but just could be for just big businesses. We need help battling the small businesses. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The big business is terrified of seven person companies. I work for a small business and, you know, I own a small well. business. I feel you. Yeah. How do you how do you feel about not being targeted for, uh, for somebody? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I feel forgotten. OK, Uh. well, good. Well, th- this is about as much as my brain can handle. So I'm going to I'm going to sign off. Uh, anything you want to add?
1: No, I think I I I think we're good to go. I uh, always good to be with you. And I just now I'm just going to think about your son getting a
0: billiards scholarship to
1: MIT. I
0: think that's the path. Hey, look man, you want you want to talk about STEM. I will show you how we play billiards on the diamond system. Does that mean <laughs> when you guys
1: have cookies at your house you have snooker doodles doodles? Oh, I blew oh, the joke God. by pronunciation. Snooker doodles is
0: hard to say everybody. Well, All right, I, that's enough of me. Candy is a whole other issue. Um, Well, great. Well, thanks so much for your time, bud. I will uh, see you in a bit. My thanks again to Peter Dunn. As it happens, the lead story in IBJ's focus section this week is about the consumer rush to the safe haven of savings options that are paying 4% and 5% interest, at least for now. You can find it in the print edition of IBJ or online at IBJ.com. And before you get on with your week, there are a few other stories in this issue that I want to bring to your attention. First up, founded 25 years ago, Cunningham Restaurant Group is on the verge of opening its 40th eatery and 16th distinctive restaurant concept, ranging from crowd-pleaser Brew Burger to Downtown's Vita, which is the only Central Indiana restaurant to earn AAA's Four Diamond Award. Dave Lindquist pulls back the curtain on the next phase – Of Cunningham Restaurant Group's expansion plans. Also in this week's issue, Peter Blanchard reports that the Indiana Economic Development Corp has been paying a huge premium for the farmland it's buying in Boone County for the LEAP Lebanon Innovation and Research District. And John Russell explains the debate brewing over how Indiana utilities will pay for transitioning to green energy. You can find these stories in the latest print edition of IBJ, or online at ibj.com, I will say that it is easier to access all of the latest local news about business and politics, and all of IBJ's data about Central Indiana's business community and economy if you're a subscriber. And you may not know that we have wrapped all of IBJ's content together now with all of the stories, columns, and podcasts from our sister publication, Inside Indiana Business, And that works out to just about $3 per week for actionable information about every notable business development across the state. You won't find Indiana's story told with this kind of breadth and depth anywhere else. Just go to IBJ.com and click on that subscribe button. And thanks again for making time this week for the IBJ podcast. I'm Mason King. Hang in there, everybody. We'll be back again next week.